Deuteronomy chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. We, we appreciate you using your gifts um, to serve God. And if anybody doesn't like it, they can play next week. Uh, we are um, we're going through the Ten Commandments, and so far we've talked about the first two, which concern really the object of our worship and the manner of our worship. We, we worship the true God, we don't worship false gods, and we worship Him the right way. Um, we don't worship our false ideas of God. We don't worship some statue or some kind of image that we've created to kind of stand in for God. We worship God, and we worship Him alone. And we worship Him in spirit and in truth, just as He requires of us. And now as we approach the third commandment, we come to a commandment that is so important that God not only gives us the commandment, but he gives us the threat of punishment for not fulfilling the commandment. Stand with me as we read Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're just going to read one verse this morning, verse 11. This is God's word, and if you let it, it will change your life. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Pray with me. Father, may we not be guilty of taking your name in vain. Through this time, show us what that means. Show us what it shows us about you. Help us to know you better. And Father, help us to live the life that you require of us. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. So there are two parts to this commandment. The first is the prohibition. We'll talk about that in detail in just a moment. That we are not to take the name of the Lord in vain. But I want to start with the reason, the rationale behind it, the threat of punishment that comes. He says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that's kind of a roundabout way of saying that judgment comes to those who take God's name in vain. And we might escape judgment here on earth. It may not happen soon. It may be years and years and years down the road. It may be that we don't even see the judgment this side of eternity. But rest assured, you will see judgment because God's judgment is perfect and complete. God doesn't miss when it comes to judging. And so if you think, I got away with it, think again. Because God promises you will be held guilty. I think that's kind of interesting. He could have said that with no other gods, right? But he doesn't. He could have told us that when he said no graven images. Instead, he tells us about his jealousy. That we don't do it because of who God is. Because of his nature, we don't make a false image. But here... When it comes to taking his name in vain, God says, I need to put a little sting on the end of this one. And he gives us that. But I, th- I guess if we're going to avoid it, if we're going to avoid the judgment, we better know what he's telling us not to do, right? So let's look at the first part. Let's look at the prohibition itself. And, and as we do, I want us to consider one word. Uh, it's used twice, but uh, this word vain. The word vain has a basic meaning of empty or worthless. It's used throughout the Bible. But one of the key places that it's used is in the book of Jeremiah. Five times in Jeremiah, not only is this word used, but this form of this word is used. In other words, uh, uh, the Jeremiah, when he is using this word vain, he's using it in the same way that God uses it in this commandment. 
One of those examples, probably the best one, is Jeremiah 2, verse 30. Jeremiah is talking about uh, how he has he has had to judge the people because of their sin. They're constantly going against him, constantly worshiping false gods, constantly oppressing the poor, constantly doing the things that he has commanded them not to do. And he says, in vain I have struck your children. They took no correction. And so we have the idea, God's correction isn't working here because the children of Israel are refusing to submit to it. He's doing it in vain, not because it's worthless to him, but because it has no impact. They're so obstinate in their sin that they refuse to bow the knee even, even when God is disciplining them. To do something in vain then, in this kind of sense, is to do it with no hope of success, no anticipation of benefit. It's a waste of time. It's a divorce from the reality of the situation to continue and act in ways that don't work. Y'all ever heard the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? That's, that gets to this meaning of vain. Now, consider the idea of taking God's name in vain. The idea is literally to carry his name worthlessly. I'm going to teach you a little bit of Hebrew this morning. The word for take is uh, the word NASA, spelled like NASA, and it means to lift up. So if you think of a space shuttle going up, NASA, NASA, lift up. There you go. You now know a word of Hebrew. Unless you knew Shalom, now you know too, okay? <laughs> so there you go. There's your Hebrew word of the day. That this, this form of the word is this implication of the process of lifting, of bearing, of carrying. And so the idea of taking God's name in vain is to carry God's name worthlessly without any way of actually reflecting his character. So why aren't we to carry his name that way? Well, because God's name matters. It's not something we do flippantly. Now, over the course of this series, I said we're going to examine two questions. Now we get to the first question. We're going to ask what the commandment uh, uh, reveals to us about God. And then later, we're going to talk about what the commandment requires of us. So what does this third commandment reveal to us about God? This command not to take God's name in vain. What does it actually show us about the nature and character of God? Well, it shows us some things about his name that reflect his character. For example, God's name is his radiance. God's name is his radiance. In Scripture, names often bear meaning. Many times, the name identifies the character of the individual. Adam. The name Adam comes from a Hebrew word that means man, which, by the way, happens to come from another Hebrew word that means dirt. So the man, Adam comes from the dirt in a place that's a related word named Eden. So you got this Eden where there's this dirt that becomes this man. It's all interrelated. Um, Nabal. Y'all remember Nabal? He's the one that is uh, foolish toward David. He comes out and, and he, his David's men are asking for some provisions. They're protecting crops. They're, they're, they're running away from Saul at this point. And Nabal just comes out and curses his men and just acts defiantly. And David's, David's ready to go to war over it. But then Abigail, his wife, comes to him and says, he says, 
please don't act rashly. His name is Nabal, and he is a Nabal. The word means fool, right? His character matches his name. Um, Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel. Y'all know what Emmanuel means, right? God with us. And that's exactly what Emmanuel is. He is God with us. Each of those names reflects the character of the individual who carries them. It's also true of God. God's name reflects his character, and that name is often connected to the idea of glory. Isaiah 42, verse 8 is an example of this. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Notice the connection. God's character, I am the Lord, connected to his name. And his name connected to his glory, his praise, and even his jealousy, just like we talked about last week. There's another, Psalm 29. This is one of my favorite psalms. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. This is, this is a psalm you can't read sitting down mumbling. You've got to like shout it out, stand up, almost with a smile on your face. Yell it out because God's name has its own glory. Even his name is glorious. That's why oftentimes when God refers to the temple or even to the city of the temple, Jerusalem, he says, the place where I put my name. See, because that's where glory is. That's where God's glory resides. That's where God comes to be with his people. It's in his temple, in his city. And so that's where my name is. In fact, if you go around uh, the temple precincts, you would have seen the priests wearing a band around their head that said, holy to the Lord. They have his name on their foreheads. The Jews would put that Shema Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They would put it on their foreheads. They'd wear it on their wrist. They'd, they'd wear it on a necklace over their heart to bear the name of God. It represents his glory. It's his radiance. It shows us the character of God. His name is not just his glory, some kind of uh, a vague aspect. It's also his reputation. It deals with the things that he has done related to this connection uh, 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 of the glory of God and the name is, is the reputation. And how do you get a reputation? You do stuff, right? If you got a guy that doesn't pay attention in class and all he does is cut up and cause problems to the teacher, he has a reputation of being a class clown. It's not a great reputation. Uh, someone, uh, any, any, any mamas or daddies out there want to name their baby girl Jezebel? It's a reputation with that name, isn't there? What's interesting is that reputation can sometimes change. In fact, there's a great example that comes from the Saturday mornings of our youth. Bugs Bunny. Go ahead and throw that picture up. Bugs Bunny. One of his favorite insults. There it is. One of his favorite insults. Nimrod. 
comes from the Bible. In Genesis chapter 10, Nimrod was a hunter. In fact, it says of him that he was the first mighty man. Nimrod. Bugs uses it as an insult because Omer Fudd is definitely not a Nimrod. Not in that sense. He's not a mighty hunter. Uh, he's, a, he's sarcastically a Nimrod. And now, even now, how many, how many of you want to name your sons Nimrod? There you go. There's a reputation with that name that's been developed through cartoons. There you go. God's name, in the same way, is his reputation too. For my own sake, God says in Isaiah 48, for my own sake, as if you didn't hear it the first time, I do it. What is he doing? He's talking about the way that his people are rejecting him over and over again. But he's continuing to defer his anger. He's continuing to put off his wrath. And why does he do that? For my name's sake, he says. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. There's another connection between the name and the glory. But in this case, the name is connected also to his reputation. How can I profane my name by destroying you, even though that's what you deserve. His reputation and his holiness balances together with his reputation of mercy. And they're both reflected in his name. One of my favorite psalms is, uh, one of my favorite passages from the psalms, uh, Psalm 29 is one of them. Psalm 106 is another. Psalm 106, 147, excuse me. I'm getting all mixed up with numbers today. Psalm 106, 47 says this. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. He is the God who saves, and his name reflects that reputation. Third, God's name is his revelation. It's not just his character. And it's not just his works. It's the way that he has chosen to reveal himself to us. You see, the problem is God has chosen to reveal himself to us, but we don't pay attention. Romans chapter 1 goes through this whole litany of, of the ways in which we refuse to acknowledge God, though it's plain in all of creation. You can look at the stars in the sky. You can look at the intricacies of a cell. You can look anywhere and everywhere in creation and see evidence of God's glory, evidence of his character, evidence of his goodness. And so many people deny it and say, no, that was evolution. No, that's just stars doing what stars do. That's just, that's just biomechanical processes or that's just something else. And claim that they do not see God in that. But he's made it clear, so clear in fact, that we have no excuse to deny him. He has revealed himself to us. And one of the ways that he reveals himself is through his name. Exodus chapter 3. Moses is, is talking to this bush that's, not, that's burning but not being consumed. God speaking through the bush tells him that he is going to redeem his people out of Egypt and he's going to use Moses to do it. And Moses starts all of these excuses and one of them is, but... What if they ask me what your name is? Who should I tell them sent me? I can't say the bush that's on fire that isn't being consumed. I can't say the God of our fathers. Because what God of our fathers? He's left us here for hundreds of years. He's abandoned us. Who should I tell them sent me? God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. It's how he reveals himself to us. It's how God opens our eyes to who he is. You see, it, it would, it, if it was just his name, if his name, if all it did was describe him, but we didn't know the name, we wouldn't know the God. So we laugh when a kid comes home. The other day, I think it was either Savannah or Brantley came and said, I met a new friend today. And I said, what was their name? And they said, I, I don't know. We laugh at that. Because isn't that, isn't that part of knowing someone is knowing their name? It's a basic thing, right? The way God reveals himself to us. In Revelation chapter 15, we see a vision in the scene of heaven. And the saints that are gathered around the throne, they say, they say this, Who will not fear, O Lord? And glorify your name. Why? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. We know you by name. If God's name matters that much, that it's his, the radiance of his glory, that it's the reputation of all the works that he's done, that it is his own revelation of who he is to us. That means we ought to take very careful care of how we carry his name. So what does the third commandment require of us? What is it that God expects of us? First, we must carry the name of God with care for his radiance. If the name is the radiance of the glory of God, then we must carry that name with radiance. That means our entire lives must honor him. Some applications of that. We don't lie in God's name. In fact, we don't lie, period, whether we're using his name or not, because us lying reflects badly on God who doesn't lie. We don't make oaths and then break them in God's name. You're asking for trouble doing that. We have to be very careful how we care for the radiance of God's glory through his name. And as his children, as, ch as men and women, as boys and girls, as, as sons and daughters of God, we are obligated to carry our family name with honor and not with disrespect. Let no one despise you because of your youth, he tells Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Everything you do ought to set an example to those around you of what God is like. So I just said a second ago, we don't lie because God doesn't lie. We don't cheat because God doesn't cheat. We don't steal because God is enough. We don't murder because God values life. And it's not ours to take. We don't do these things because of God's character. We have to care for his radiance. Um, in fact, there's a church in Philadelphia that, that Jesus writes to through John. He tells John, write these letters to the churches. He deals first with Ephesus. You've left your first love. Now repent and turn back. It's a church, by the way, that was really good at identifying true doctrine. They didn't stand the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. They weren't falling into error, but they were loveless. But then he turns to Philadelphia. 
And he says to them, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's carrying the name of God carefully. That's not carrying it in vain, but carrying it with with the proper honor and care that God deserves. We are going to live in the midst of a culture that hates us. I read this morning something that someone posted online that was calling for people to come to rural areas and destroy towns. And their main reasoning is because they're full of people that are Christians or are specifically influenced by a Christian worldview. People are not going to like you when you stand on the truth. Sometimes it'll be way off in internet land where you may not even hear about it or know about it. Sometimes it'll be directly to your face. But the fact of the matter is that when you stand on truth, you will be standing on a firm foundation that will not give way under your feet. So you must stand boldly. You cannot let this culture drive you away from God just because it's uncomfortable to believe what you believe, to claim what you claim, to live His name. Not in vain. To give God the honor He deserves. That's what the church in Philadelphia was doing. They kept His word. They did not deny His name. They carried it well. That's why God doesn't have a rebuke of the church of Philadelphia. The only thing they needed to do was keep going. Their only call to action was continue. Keep it up. Don't quit. We also have to carry God's name with care for his reputation. We cannot misuse the name of God for our personal advantage. Let's go to oaths. You ever heard someone say, I swear to God? We can't do that. I tell you, I'm, I'm, I swear to God I'm telling the truth. Half the time when people say that, <laughs> they're lying. But anyway, the other half of the time, why should we have to make someone believe us? Shouldn't we just be honest? Didn't Jesus say, let your yes be yes and your no be no? You know, you know what he's saying there? He says, live with the kind of integrity that you don't even have to swear by God because people know what you say is true. Now, sometimes I'll struggle with this because I'll think that I'm going to be able to do something and then some circumstance happens or, or it's difficult, like I didn't quite know that it would be, and I end up not fulfilled. Or, just let's just be honest here, sometimes I forget. We can't do that either. We've got to be people of our word. But this is a problem that the Israelites had. Back to Jeremiah, this time chapter 7. Just listen. This is God through his prophet talking to his people. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered only to go on doing these abominations? How often times do we expect God to bless something when we don't even care about God with the rest of our lives? We act like he is non-existent 
And then on Sunday morning, we come to church and act like, well, God really owes me something because I put money in the offering plate, because I was here, because I did these things, I, I did X, Y, Z, I fulfilled all the list. How many times do we treat God like He's a religious talisman? That just declaring His name, just saying that, that oh, well, well, I'm in church, I'm praying for it, so God must automatically answer my prayer and do what I want Him to do. Just because I said, Father God, enough in my prayer. Just because I said the right words or did the right incantation. Y'all, God's name is not a Harry Potter spell. It doesn't just work because you say it right. We cannot misuse the name of God for a personal advantage. Listen to what God continues to say. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Does that sound familiar? Didn't someone else utter that phrase in the temple? Yeah. Jesus is quoting from here. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. I've seen it with my own eyes, he says. Now, go to my place that was in Shiloh. If you don't remember, um, back in the early days of the book of 1 Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant is kept in Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle was. Um, this is before the days of kings. So Saul hasn't become king yet. And, and the, the Ark is there in Shiloh. And then in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, the Philistines attack. Do the Israelites in. It's a, a terrible day of battle. And so the next day they bring the Ark of the Covenant up from Shiloh. Because we have the religious talisman. We have the thing that, oh, God's going to bless it because the Ark is here. So now we can go out and defeat our enemies because now we have the presence of God. Turns out that's not how the Ark works. And what happens instead is the Philistines whip the Israelites even worse and then take the ark for themselves. Now, they quickly learn it's not a talisman on their end and a couple of months later and a whole bunch of plagues and mice or, or some kind of tumors or something, uh, they're sending oxen that are making a beeline straight for Israel because they realize we can't have this here. This is destroying us. You can't just use God's name just for whatever you want. Go, go to Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you've done all these things, declares the Lord, when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name. That is now the third time he's referred to the temple as the house called by his name in this passage and in which you trust. Ah, there's the problem. They're not trusting in God. They've made a false God. And to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. It's going to meet the same fate. Why? Because you're not carrying my name right. You're making my name worthless by using it for your purposes. We got to be careful because it's not just, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Sometimes it can even seem like a good thing. God, I'm praying for you to heal this person. And instead of trusting God to do the right thing, we think the only thing God can do is make cancer go away. And I'm not saying God doesn't want to take away cancer. There are times when he does and it is marvelous. There are times when God does something and it's inexplicable to the doctors, but we all know what happened. 
And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for those things. What I am saying, though, is that we need to trust his will and not make our will impose upon him. That also, by the way, means that we don't use prayer uh, requests as opportunities for gossip because that's taking his name in vain, too. Lastly, we carry the name with care for his radiance. We carry the name with care for his reputation. What do you think the third one's going to be? Well, it's his, re- it's his revelation, right? So we carry the name with care for his revelation too. There's two sides to this. One, we dare not speak for God what he has not commanded us to speak. Deuteronomy 18 warns the people of Israel, I will, take, I will raise up for them a prophet like you. He's talking to Moses specifically among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But watch this. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. It's a pretty heavy sentence. It's a pretty heavy thing to claim to speak for God when you don't. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? How are we going to know the difference? That's actually a really good question because some things sound good. Some things sound right. Some things sound like they made sense and sound like they could be a word from God. How do we know the difference? Well, he tells them. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. See if it happens. How do I know that God is saying this? Well, if it doesn't happen, (laughs) then God didn't say it. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. I'll tell you, there's probably a couple of other ways too. If what he is saying doesn't line up with the rest of what God has said, that's a good indication it's not real. There are people, there are people who will say, I have a word from the Lord. And it's obvious when you hear what they have to say that it's not from the Lord. Don't listen to false prophets. And don't be a false prophet either. Don't say, I have a word from the Lord when all you have is a craving for fried chicken. If there's anything I know about, it's fried chicken. But there's a convert, there's a reverse side to it. So you have have two sides to a coin, right? Y'all may not know this, but the front side is called the obverse and the back side is called the reverse, okay? So the obverse, we don't say the things that God has not commanded, but on the reverse, we dare not be silent when God has commanded us to speak. You see, because sometimes God gives a word and we better say it. Otherwise, well, otherwise we're guilty of carrying his name in vain too, aren't we? I think of Jonah. I worship and serve the God who created the heavens and the sea. Really, Jonah, why are you running away from him? Why are you refusing to do what he's told you to do and headed in the opposite direction? He's not worshiping God, he's running from God. Ezekiel 33, God talks about the watchman on the wall. There's an enemy coming and the watchman sees the enemy coming and he doesn't warn the people that the enemy's coming. There's going to be great calamity and it's going to be on the watchman's head. 
He's going to be accountable because he didn't do his job, right? Make sense? He says, you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. He doesn't have the option. God doesn't give him the choice on whether he says the word or not. God doesn't even give him the choice on what he says. Sometimes we think that, oh, well, God's given us a word, but that's kind of a harsh word, so I'll just put it in a friendlier tone. I'll just say it a little differently. I'll, I'll leave out the bad part and just give the good part. That's carrying his name in vain. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. You see, part of carrying the Lord's name rightly is doing what he calls us to do. Might be uncomfortable. Might be difficult. Might be hard. Might be downright exhausting. But when we don't, we carry his name in vain. God has a holy name. We dare not mistreat it. Pray with me. Father, it's easy to think, oh, well, you've just told us not to do this thing or that thing or the other thing, and so that's it. And as long as we fulfill that letter, that, that's all. But we recognize in your commandments there's, there's much more depth. That it's not just about the actions, it's about our hearts. And so far... We can talk about a lot of different actions, but all of them spring from bad hearts. All of them spring from worshiping false gods. All of them spring from doing things that you have commanded us not to do. All of them spring from us being sinners. And when I look at your holiness, when I look at your radiance, when I look at your reputation and I look at your revelation and I see your name, I see more than just letters on a page. I see the true God to whom I am to be completely devoted, utterly dependent, exclusively loyal to. So Father, help me bear your name rightly. Not worthlessly, not empty, not with no hope of success. But Father, help me carry it for your glory. Help me bear your name well. Help all of us do that. In this time of invitation, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would change us, shape us in your image. Father, if there's one here who is not saved, I pray this morning would be the morning that they surrender their hearts to Christ. If there's someone here who is saved, but they know that they're in sin, I pray that they would no longer bear your name in vain. Work in them to produce the holiness and righteousness that you deserve, that only come from you. Father, whatever, whatever the case may be, you do your work in this time while we sing the song of invitation. In your glorious name we pray. Amen.